Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. We've been in Spiritual Discipline Challenge, and we still have some Kairos journals available. They won't be available in the foyer, but if you call the office this week, every time we order some more, you take them all out and start using them. So we keep making this run back up to Medford for more journals for all of you. So make sure you check in in the uh, office. If you don't know what that's about, just ask somebody around you if they're using it. I'm sure they'd be glad to share that with you. The 40-Day Spiritual Challenge focuses on several things. It focuses on us for the 40 days, ending, I believe, February 18th, um, to be engaged in in an effort to do these things daily, Uh, maintain a daily time in the Word, memorize Scripture for everyday challenges, and make prayer your day-to-day pattern. And so we've been kind of talking through that. Now, I'm going to jump over number two, and we're going to come back to that one in a couple of weeks, but I want to jump into make prayer your day-to-day pattern. And I'm going to give you, uh, you ready for this, the longest title I've ever given a sermon in my life. So here it is. How to pray for the same old things without saying the same old things. How many of you at some stage in your life have prayed and said, I just feel like this is what I always say? Can I see your hands? Okay. And right in there, prayer kind of gets a little boring, doesn't it? It's like, does this even really matter anymore? And, And sometimes we even get convicted by that passage. Jesus said that, listen, don't let your prayer be vain repetition, right? Don't keep saying the same thing over and over again. And so not only do we say the same old things and we kind of lose some of the energy in prayer, we start to wonder if it's really effective, but we also can maybe be prone to just keep repeating and wonder if we're actually violating what Jesus said we shouldn't do. So I want to give you four ways to how to pray without saying the same old thing. So these are four ways for you this morning. Okay, so here they come. We're going to kind of unpack them. And my guess is that something in this is going to be new to somebody here, or maybe multiple things are going to be new. So I don't just want you to say, okay, I'm going to listen But I want you to say, okay, how can I apply this in my prayer life this week? So here's the first one. Include more than request in your prayers. So often when we come to prayer, we just start with the request, dear Lord, and then we dump the request, okay? Um, You know if you're a parent or if you're an employer what it's like when someone comes to you only with the problem, right? It's like, okay, when that person comes, I know they only have a problem, right? Include more than requests in your prayers. Now, let me just pause and talk about your request for a second. No request is so small that God isn't interested in it. Remember, in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about the fact that he knows even uh, a cubic of your, uh, of your height or a day of your life, or he's num- been able to number the hairs on your head. He, it, God is interested in the smallest details. So when you're praying you can, in, and you're bringing requests, you can certainly pray for the smallest of details. In fact, when I have asked people, um, even here at Fellowship, give me something small you've prayed for, okay? You know the number one answer I get to that is people raise their hands, and sooner or later in a crowd of this size, someone says, I pray for a parking space, okay? Can I tell you something? God's interested in that, okay? Because God's interested in even the smallest of details. But here's what's great. If you say, man, I got this really big problem, no request is so large that God can't do something about it. God is God, after all. And there is no harm, there is no shame, there is no reason why we shouldn't ask him for what things that seem miraculous. Now, that being said, okay, I've talked about you can get any request you want, small, large, it doesn't matter. 
I do think our prayer time should not simply engage in request all the time. And let me show you that with one of the most familiar prayers you know. In fact, if you, if you haven't even been a Christian very long or you never even have been to church before, chances are you probably know this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. He's not even, Jesus said, I, he hasn't even made a request yet, okay? He makes three requests in this prayer. Give us, lead us, deliver us. Three requests, six words. But yet the prayer is full of all these other things. By the way, pause for a moment and just understand that this prayer came about because the disciples saw Jesus praying and they watching him pray said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus gave them what I'm going to call a prayer pattern. And ever since then, we've memorized it and thought of it as the prayer. Okay? But it's not the prayer. It's a pattern. It's almost like an outline. And we'll get there in a second. But just know this, that there's a lot of other stuff in this prayer other than just the request. Give us, lead us, deliver us. In the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, we find Nehemiah's prayer. And the text back there says that he was praying night and day. That's a lot of time. Now, we're going to come back to these prayers in a minute. But let's just look for how far we go into the prayer before he makes a request. Okay? And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 5. Maybe he's going to get to the request in verse 6. No. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. Maybe he's going to get to the request in verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Maybe he's going to get to the request in verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcast in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell. Verse 10, still no request. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I have read that entire prayer, and he doesn't even give the request until he gets to the end, and it's twofold. Give success and grant mercy. And this is a big deal, by the way, because Nehemiah was a cupbearer to a pagan king, and what you could not do in the pagan king's presence is act like you were unhappy about something. You could be executed for that, believe it or not. You could be executed if you just act like you weren't happy. Nehemiah's problem is he's over here in modern-day Iraq. That's where he was staying in Babylon. And the people were 600 miles away. His hometown was 600 miles away. And the walls in Jerusalem were torn down. And people were being taken advantage of. And, and people were dying. And he was burdened when he found this out. So he prays. And he saves in that great difficulty. He saves the request till the very end. And it's only about 14 to 16 words. The point is this, that if you want to engage your prayer time, learn to back away from just always giving the request. Now, you say, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about that, okay? When you do bring requests, make them less me-centric. Pray for others, okay? If you're always praying for yourself, you're always saying the same old thing. That's problematic. Now, we're in a missions week, <clears throat> missions month. So as we're in a missions month, it caused me to say, maybe I can introduce you to a resource that I've used from time to time. There's an app known as the Joshua Project, okay? And when you see this, you're going to say, that's a nice dating app. No, it's not a dating app, okay? It's a praying app, all right? 
And this morning, this is the 23rd, I pulled up this particular one because it's speaking of the unreached people of the day. And normally, it would tell me about the Hindi people in India, but it, it said update, and I hit update. And you know what happened? It updated that request for the unreached people in the United States of America. See, I bet you thought there's not unreached people in America. But did you realize that the language of Hindi, of course, when you pull the app up, it gives you this detail. It shows you someone who's, who's from that particular part of the world. Hindi is the fourth most spoken language in the world after Mandarin, English, and Spanish. I told you, you're probably going to learn some things you didn't know today. 425 million people in India speak this language. And yet it's an entirely unreached people group. 425 million. That's 100 million more than all of the people who live in the United States of America. Just think about that for a second. When I hit update, it showed me Hindi in the United States, and I discovered this information, that there is a population of 1,155,000 people who only speak this language that live in the United States. And, by the way, they are marked as status as unreached. That is, less than 2% have even heard the gospel or have come to faith in Christ. Wow. Like, just let that thought settle in for a moment. And if I were to click through the app further, I would discover in the Joshua Project app, I would discover that the places in the United States of America on a map where there are people that I can pray for. And I'd also discover ministry obstacles and outreach ideas and ways that I can continue to pray. And now I'm just not praying for me and my family and, and my problems, but I'm praying for the world. Make your requests less me-centric. One of the cool things about this app is when I clicked on it this morning, it says praying, and there's a little number there, 527. That means at the time I was praying for the people in, that, that know the language of Hindi, when I was praying for them, 526 other people were praying too. Right? So that's pretty cool. So you want to download that because just take a time in your prayer, hit the app, and open it up, and every day there'll be another unreached people group to pray for. Here's the second idea. Use the Psalms to stimulate your prayer life. Okay? How to pray without saying the same old things. Use the Psalms to stimulate your prayer life. Now, I came upon this recently in my study uh, for this morning. Um, I've used the Psalms before, but there was an individual by the name of Don Whitney who engaged in making them a kind of a practical, very how-to way you can engage the Psalms in your prayer life. So I'm going to introduce you to that right now. Remember last week when we talked about Bible and the reading your Bible and observation, that we said, listen, when you're reading history portions of the Bible, look for relationship. When you're reading the poetry, like the Psalms, look for some of the emotions in it. And Don Whitney has said, God inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. That's a great line. God inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. Whatever the emotion, excitement, fear, anxiety, joy, weariness, depression. The Psalms speak to these issues. And so when you all of a sudden say, I'm praying the same old thing, and you open up and let a Psalm instruct you, that changes it. What if I could promise you this about your prayer life? My mind didn't wander. My prayer was, these are true testimonies. My prayer was more about God and less about me. The time was too short. It seemed like a real conversation with a real person. I thought more deeply about what the Bible says when I prayed. I had greater assurance I was praying God's will. I had prayed about things I normally don't pray about. I prayed about the things I normally pray about, but in new and different ways. All testimonies of people who use the Psalms to pray. Okay. So, let me help you with that. There's 150 Psalms in the Bible, 
And that means that if you divide them by 30, the days of the month, you get five psalms for every day, okay? Now, in the pew in front of you, I want you to reach in and see this thing that says the pocket prayer journal. I want you to pull that out, okay? And I want you to look at the side that says praying through the psalms, okay? Not praising God through his attributes, just pray through the psalms. And you'll notice there that what the author did was he said, listen, I'm going to choose five psalms for every day. And the way he did that is rather than go one to five and stay in the same portion of the psalms, he just, put, he just added 30 to every number. So today is uh, January 23rd. So if you look down at day 23, you see that you could look at Psalm 23, Psalm 53, Psalm 83, Psalm 113, Psalm 143. He's just added 30 to every single number. Now, this is a great way to pray. You say, well, I don't have time to pray like that. Okay. Aside from the fact that Jesus said to the disciples, could you not watch with me one hour in prayer? Just let me, uh, let me talk about this for a second. What I would recommend you do, and I've been doing this, and it's been really encouraging, is I kind of scan all five Psalms. I'm not reading for study. I'm just scanning. So I start with one. A few days ago, I started with Psalm 21, um, and I just kind of scanned it. And then I turned to Psalm 51, and immediately God said, this is the Psalm I want you to pray. Because stuff in the Psalm was like, this is how I want you to pray today. So I scan the Psalms, all five of them, and I choose one to just kind of settle in on. Now you say, what am I supposed to do when I pray it? Okay, so we're going to do this together. I'm going to tell you in advance, I've not studied out this Psalm uh, for this morning. I have studied this Psalm, but not for this morning, okay? But we want to use it in prayer, and it's January 23rd, so that would be Psalm what? 23, that's right, and you all know this Psalm too, just like you know the Lord's Prayer. So let's just talk through it and see how it inspires our prayer. Okay? So you have to help me here. This is where you kind of dialogue a little bit, so don't go quiet on me. Um, I won't call you out by name, but I don't know, I'll probably do something to your house tonight or something, okay? I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, okay? Here we go. Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. Now, if you're reading it and you're getting ready to pray, I just want your mind to kind of say, okay, this is where I'd have a thought, and I could pray that way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, when I'm reading, I'll get you started, okay? When I'm reading and I'm praying, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm immediately drawn to think about how God is my shepherd. And so rather than just read it, I would just pause there and say, Lord, I want to thank you for being my shepherd. You protect me. You care for me. You feed me. You take care of me. I shall not want. How might that little phrase just suddenly shift your prayer time a little bit? Go ahead. Help me out. I'm going to start over here in this section so I can hear you. If you were praying, and this is supposed to stimulate something in your prayer time, what might the phrase, I shall not want, cause you to do? Pardon me? Ask for less. I hadn't even thought of that. See, this is great. Um, ask for less. Someone else. Oh, be grateful, right? Because God has met all of our needs. What else might it do? Be less anxious, yeah. One of the things it may do is it may bring a point of conviction right here. Lord, what have I been thinking about? What have I been wanting? What have I been dreaming about? What magazine have I been looking at saying, if only I had that truck, I'd be perfectly happy, okay? What have I been thinking about? See, the prayer, sudden, this psalm has suddenly shifted your prayer. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. Somebody in this section, how all of a sudden might that generate a different thought in your prayer? Oh, God may be instructing you to slow down. And so you can talk to the Lord about that. Someone else. Oh, pray for others. 
because maybe you're okay, but you know someone who's really anxious. God now all of a sudden brings that person's name to mind in your prayer. Right? Somebody else. Good. Thank you, Ozzy. Okay, let's keep moving through the psalm, though, okay? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What might happen when you're praying and you just read that verse and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What might happen? Yes, Andy? Uh, trust in his sovereignty in our troubles. Sure. It may be personal to us. We may be trusting in the Lord because even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what else might happen? Can I give you the one I thought of? Um, Because I'm going to do the funeral Wednesday for an individual who uh, has spent some time here when he hasn't been physically, when he hasn't, when he's been physically able. Um, It caused me as I was reading, even though I walked through the valley of shadow death, just pause and say, who are the people I know who have lost someone this year? Now, let me just ask the question. How many of you know someone who knew someone who died this year? Can I see your hands? Almost every hand. So what would happen if all of a sudden you just stopped and you said, Lord, I want to pray right now for Jim's family. I want to pray for his wife, Linda. I want to pray for their kids. I want to pray. And what if you actually just stopped at the end of that prayer time and said, I'm going to text them right now and say, hey, I prayed for you this morning. What if the person that the name came to mind they'd lost someone six months ago, nine months ago, but God brought their name to mind and you prayed. Do you, can you begin to sense the power of that text when you text them out of the blue and say, I realize you lost your husband. I prayed for you this morning again. Like, that is powerful. And the Psalms generate that, and you are no longer in a world where you're saying, I'm saying the same old thing about the same old things over and over and over again. Because the Psalms can begin to generate that. Here's your third one. Here's your third idea. Divide your needs up by the days of the week. Years ago, um, someone shared this with me, and it was probably one of the most helpful things ever in my prayer life. If you're always praying for the same request, then you can never go deep on that particular request. And so this individual took um, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Now, if you're online with us this morning, you can do this at home with an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, but you guys all have this in the pew. So I want you to pull this out right now, okay? You didn't get it, grab one, reach in the pew behind you, get one, because you're gonna wanna see what you do with it, okay? It's already folded in half. What I want you to do is I want you to take it like this. You can do it with an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper if you're at home, okay? Just take the paper, fold it in half again like this, okay? So you have it folded once, fold it again like this, okay? And then see where it says pocket prayer journal right there? Take it and fold it one more time so that that pocket prayer journal opens up, okay? So now it should say pocket prayer journal in the front. You say, oh, this is cool. I came to church and I, and, uh, I actually got something to take home. It's like a Cracker Jack. <laughs> Prize, prize at the bottom of the box, okay? It's better than that, all right? Now, here's what I want you to do. Now, you've got to fold it just like that. I want you to open it up all the way. And I want you to flip it over where it says Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then every day. You have eight boxes to write requests in. Eight boxes. I remember Dr. Ron Blue taught us this. This thing revolutionized my prayer time because I was always praying for the same thing. And he said, listen, now put the names of people or specific requests in those days, right? 
And if you have something you want to pray for every day, you put those things in the everyday box. And now when you pray, you can spend more time praying specifically for those individuals. And I was convicted about that this past week because I realized that while I pray, Kim and I pray for our kids every day, okay? When I'm praying for them every day, I'm saying the same thing always the same way. And I thought to myself, wow, this is cool. What if I took Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I prayed, that would be five days, and I could pray five days for each one of my kids, including my son-in-law, four children and a son-in-law. Now, I gotta pray for Kim every day because she's gotta live with me, okay? So I, that's an everyday prayer request, all right? Scott, you're not supposed to say amen to that. All right, okay, so here's the point, all right? See, I saw that, all right. Um, here's the point. All of a sudden, I put one of my kids on every day, and then I could pray more specifically for their needs on that day because I wasn't praying for, I'm still praying for them every day, but I could focus in on one of them. You, you see the power of that? Okay. Then I thought, wow, I got two days left. Man, look at that. I got two granddaughters. I can put one on Saturday and one on Sunday. It's perfect. Right? Um, and if we have more kids, God's going to have to put more days in the week, all right? More grandchildren, sorry. Okay, so the, <laughs> Kim got a little nervous down there. All right, okay, here we go. Divide your needs by the days of the week. This is life-altering, okay? If you have never done this, suddenly you are diving in a little bit deeper into one area because you've divided them. I remember when Dr. Ron Blue taught us this, and he just did it with a blank sheet of paper. So if you don't need our pocket prayer journal, though it's got some other helps on it for you. You can do it with any sheet of paper. Fold it all those times. You've got eight boxes, seven days of the week, and every day. Okay? And then you just tuck that in your journal, and you begin to pray in that way. I remember years later, I actually read someone who said, all of the great prayer warriors that have ever prayed had a pattern that they learned to pray for specific issues on specific days. Okay. And that's right. Because if you're trying to cover everything, it's going to be a problem, isn't it? Because you only have so much time. But if you break it down into seven days and then save some of your requests for every day, that is helpful. Okay? Divide your needs up by the days of the week. Number four, use scriptural prayers to outline your own. Perhaps if everything else I said today is kind of like, you know, it's, it's how-to-ish, and that's what it was supposed to be. Right now, I just want you to pause and realize the best thing I could teach you is to use one of the 650 prayers in the Bible just to change the way you pray. And just, not just using the Psalms, but actually look at what the prayer is saying and saying, okay, I want to pray today that way. Now, I introduced you to two prayers when we started, and I'm going to do that in our final minutes together, Okay. In fact, you know this, so let's just say it together, all right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 40 seconds and you've said the prayer. But it's not about saying the prayer. It's about actually doing the prayer. Let's just unpack it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice how Jesus said to the disciples, here's how you want to start your prayer, a time of praise. Talk to God about who he is. You say, I don't know enough about God. And look at your little prayer journal, okay? You will see that there are attributes of God on the one side, praising God through his attributes. 
in alphabetical order, one for every, multiple ones for some, for every letter in the alphabet, okay? Just start that list or just Google what is, uh, give me the attributes of God. And you start by praising God for who he is. You'll see that in again in a second. Notice the next part of this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, listen, you better submit in this prayer time. You better not just say, I'm going to tell God what to do. You better say, God, whatever you tell me what to do, that's what I want to do. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the request, three of them. Give us this day our daily bread, meaning God wants you to ask him every 24 hours, just like manna, to meet your daily needs. This is a little tough for us because you and I have refrigerators that have such capacity that they can store stuff until it starts to grow and become living entities, okay? Which means you're never hardly out of food. You're thinking that you are, but you're not, okay? But God said, listen, I want a daily dependence. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, meaning there's this, Lord, I need you to lead me and give me the discernment to know where I'm tempted and deliver us from evil. Lord, I'm not going to be able to do this without you. Notice these kinds of requests are very, very different. How about this? Forgive us our trespasses. There's a time of confession in your prayer. And finally, how about this? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. There should be a time of praise in your prayer prayer. It was over 30 years ago. I was meeting with a group of guys, and um, we'd meet at 5.30 in the morning before they'd have to go to work. And uh, they, we were out in California, and we borrowed um, one of the husbands. His wife was a physical therapist, and she had a small office there. And so we borrowed that office. And I remember the day I came in and said, hey, what if we just prayed using the scripture? And I'm not making this up. It's one of the few times, it's, it's one of the times in my life where God was the most evident in a community prayer because all of us prayed from a different passage. And one prayed kind of a prayer of confession from Psalm 51 and another prayed from uh, another passage in the epistles and we went around the room and an hour later, this guy closes in prayer from the book of Revelation and I thought, honestly, I thought the Lord is coming back. I gotta go see Kim and say goodbye. Okay, like, you know, it was that kind of moment. It was so real and it was simply us using the scriptures as the outline for our prayers. That's what the Lord was trying to tell you in the Lord's Prayer. That's why I say it's the Lord's Prayer pattern, not the Lord's Prayer. He's saying to the disciples, this is the pattern for how you should pray. Let's go back to Nehemiah real quick. Remember Nehemiah chapter 1? And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Great way to get started, praise. Two things he's praying for, who God is. He is great and awesome. What God does, he is, keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. He's praying for who God is and what God does. That's a great way to start your praise time. Look at the rest of that, verse six. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. Immediately, it's engaged in a time of confession. In fact, that confession continues over into verse seven. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded Moses. Um, Nehemiah realizes that he personally is responsible in some way. It's a time of confession. Now, what happens next is really remarkable. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Immediately, he is quoting from another passage, another Bible passage, and he continues that through verse 9 and through verse 10, and, and he just continues that. It's a significant portion of the prayer. 
A.W. Tozer, this is so important. Have you ever asked God, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm praying, Lord, give me discernment in whether I take this job or whatever I do or what school I go to. If you've ever done that, then you know that it feels like we just keep asking God and he doesn't answer. But what if we, like, like Nehemiah, injected a section of scripture into our prayer time? Then when we're praying, we all of a sudden have a sense of what God wants us to do because the scripture is informing God's answer. A.W. Tozer, pastor up in Chicago for years, used to say, if God gave you a wristwatch, would you honor him more by checking the watch to see what time it is or just constantly asking him what time it is? If God gave you a wristwatch, a tool to discern what it is he wants you to do, Would you honor him more by opening that tool, inserting that tool into your prayer so that as you pray, you begin to say, I think I know what God is saying, as opposed to say, Lord, tell me what to do, and God doesn't seem to answer. God's already given you the tool. Insert it in your prayer. And finally, you'll notice he eventually gets to his request. Now, you know, it's really remarkable about Nehemiah's prayer. In Nehemiah's prayer, in Nehemiah chapter 1, just let me show you this real quick. You have looked at four elements of the prayer. 16% of this prayer is praise. 28% of this prayer is confession. 50% of this prayer is scripture. Just let that thought settle in. Is that different than the way you pray? Do you pray with your Bible open? 6% of that prayer is request. That's a life-altering prayer pattern. I'm going to tell you right now, if you apply that, your prayer time tomorrow might be about saying, dealing with some of the same old things, but you wouldn't be saying the same old things in the same way you'd always said the same old things because you would allow the scriptures to alter your prayer. I love the way that one writer says it. One prayer is not a prayer life make. Okay? If you want to learn to pray, you have to pray more than for the meal. You have to learn to pray in such a way that you're working through these four elements. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.